0: Welcome, Josh. Welcome, everyone, to JavaScript Jam Live. JavaScript Jam Live is what we like to call an open mic for anything JavaScript and web development related. Anything that's in those two buckets is on topic. And whether you're a beginner or an expert, we want to hear from you. We like to be audience driven as much as possible. But sometimes... We do invite a guest on onto the space to help educate us all on a particular topic and co-host along with us. And that guest today is Josh, who worked with us on TypeScript, video that you can see it's a crash course on TypeScript. But before we get to that, and I let him introduce himself, I will just turn it over to Anthony, my co-host, to introduce himself.
1: Hello, hello. My name is Anthony Campolo. I am a developer advocate at Igio. And yeah, we're super excited to have Josh here with us. We just dropped a crash course with him about a week or two ago, so if
2: you check out our well, let me actually pin that. So, yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Super, thanks for having me. Hi everyone. I'm Josh Goldberg. I'm a full-time open source maintainer. I work on a few projects, most notably TypeScript ESLint, the tooling that lets you run ESLint and Prettier on TypeScript code. I'm also really passionate about TypeScript and generally writing JavaScript good. I wrote a book learning TypeScript and have been doing conferences and such trying to evangelize both TypeScript and good TypeScript practices. So I'm excited to be here both for the new folks who don't know TypeScript at all, all the way up to the folks who are going to scream at me about function return type inference or whatever other anger is on Twitter these days. <laughs> so we're going
1: to put it off limits on that for the, for this one.
2: <laughs> Probably good.
1: Unless you really have a strong opinion on it.
2: (laughs) I think the stronger my opinion, the less likely we should really consider talking about
1: it. So be quick question. How did you become a full-time
2: open source person? It's actually a lot easier and a lot harder than you'd think. It's a lot easier because there's no certification or company that you have to go through. I just quit my job and said, okay, I'm doing this now. But also it's harder because it's not just something you can, I think, be very successful at out of the blue. You have to learn a lot about open source. You have to, I think, gain some experience working in it. You can do it on the job, so to speak, but it's a lot easier to do open source full time like to really make an impact if you have a lot of experience with it. So I took the path that I recommend to most but not all people, which is get a job in industry, be supported by your mentor or manager, et cetera, at work. And at the same time, ideally in the job, if not, and if possible, maybe on your own time, do stuff in open source land, which will gain you experience there as well. And then eventually, if you really like open source, you can do it. I will also note that there are a lot of lessons and learnings that make open source a lot easier and better once you know them. Things like how to effectively communicate, even though you don't know anything about the people and how to make good documentation when you have no time to do anything that we can get into more if you really want.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually really fascinating a little bit for the audience. But I'm curious, so do, when you made that transition, did you effectively have Patreon's lined up? How did you, you know and what's supporting you as an open source maintainer right now?
2: I did not have very much funding lined up. I had a few people sponsoring me on GitHub sponsors and the project that I intended on and now still do work on a lot TypeScript PS Lint had some amount of sponsorships a lot from companies and people. But I think part of being an open source maintainer is evangelizing for yourself, getting yourself out there, posting on Twitter, Twitch, Mastodon, whatever your platform or platforms are, because people aren't gonna pay you money unless they know who you are and are convinced that you are worth it. It's like the app store scenario where we're willing to spend $600 on a phone, but $5 for an app, get out of here. It's really hard to convince people to to sponsor folks. Yeah, so how um, do you
1: convince people you're worth it? That seems like the key
2: question. Ooh, it's a good question. It's a hard one.
1: I think for you, it's just by being awesome and doing it consistently and in public for a while. I would
2: guess that's only part of it. And my my self deprecating instinct is to disagree with the awesome part, but I'll let that slide. Thank you. Doing it in public is key, so that people can see what you're doing. I'm this year going to be trying to get better at posting the big stuff I do on Twitter and my right, Mastodon stuff, reminding people in good ways and not annoying ways that you should be paid. Like on TypeScript DSLint.io, we have our list of sponsors. A lot of those came because we just asked the company if they could sponsor us. And I don't know about you or y'all, but I personally hate asking for money. That was something that took me a lot of time and energy to get comfortable doing. And I'm still not really comfortable. But also part of, I think, the drive for getting people to pay me is I need to get my name out there a lot. Like I can work all on one project. But then only people who use that project deeply will know about me. And if it's a project like TypeScript BS Lint that isn't super user facing, like it's not like it's TRPC where it's a core part of your stack you can't live without. It's like a nice developer focused thing. It can be hard to fundraise for that. So I'm trying to also get my name out there and by contributing to and or making other smaller packages that like various other people might also care about. I don't know, though. I've been doing this barely a year, really less than a year. So I'm still new to this. And I still, I like to say that although I hit minimum wage, federally mandated minimum wage in December, I still haven't hit a minimum living wage. More learnings to come.
0: It's actually a really, it's an important topic, I think, not just for you personally, but for the whole ecosystem, because we depend so much on open source technology. We collectively, anybody use something online. Look at, I remember when SSL had that bug in it and it was like, it was just two people who were maintaining it and hadn't realized that bug was there for the longest time. And even last week, there was the news of Gatsby being acquired by Netlify. And we had the CEO of Netlify on last week's episode. If you want, you can go to our website, javascriptjam.com and check it out and listen. But one of the key topics and immediate things that jumped to mind was what does this mean? For the possible monetization models for open source frameworks, and Gatsby tried that model. In their case, they're building a popular framework and trying to monetize it as a cloud platform. But there's stuff where that doesn't make sense. And so, what is the right monetization model? Do you have other thoughts in that that broader topic?
2: I do, and I think you really hit the nail on the head there. And I appreciate the way you phrased it. Some products are reasonable to monetize. I think we've seen this with three most popular, common, at least most share e frameworks for React sites, the Vercel owning Next.js, Remix getting bought by Shopify, and now, yeah, Gatsby getting bought by Yeah. By- you can't easily monetize those frameworks directly, but they're really well positioned with the hosting platform. But you couldn't monetize, say, TypeScript or TypeScript ESLint, Like TypeScript, it's based in that... It works really well with VS Code and Microsoft. Then let's get a lot of advertising space because VS Code and TypeScript is so integrated. It's not like you're going to be paying for a TypeScript deploy platform. And I have yet to see any way that you could possibly monetize ESLint or TypeScript ESLint. It's, it's just not doable. Like people would never pay for this thing. There are services on top of us you could build, but not the core product. So I think the root of the issue is, yeah, it's a real problem in the industry, like a real problem. And what's amazing to me is, that this is a great example of the difference between something that companies should do and something that companies need to do. Even after all these horrible security things came out, like Heartbleed, the security bug, most companies did not do anything. They didn't significantly change their stance at all because there was no need for them to. If you're a huge name like Microsoft or Apple, then yeah, people put pressure on you. You have a responsibility. But if you're like a mid-sized company, maybe you're in tech, maybe you just happen to be a tech company because all companies now are tech, but that's not your core product. Like, why would you say contribute to SSL or Type 2 PS or whatnot? There's no actual pressure. So one, one thing that I'm trying to do is starting this project with a few people online, mostly Rizel Scarlett from GitHub. It's called the Open Contributions Project. It's super early stage. I'm not asking people to go and contribute or take action now, but we're trying to figure out how can we explain open source in terms that people who aren't already convinced about open source can get behind? How do we make explainers for a CTO, a chief marketing officer, a chief whatever, a finance person? And then how can we write guides to say, let's say you're an IC and you wanna convince your company to give $200 a month to some project, like how would you go about doing that? And I think the reason why I'm excited about this and gonna be tackling this in the next year or two is because I think that's a gap in the industry. We have this problem that companies aren't contributing to open source, And that problem isn't getting better fast because we don't know how to ask people to do it. We don't have the data backing our arguments. So that's a long-winded way of saying, I agree it's a problem and I hope that we can figure out how to fix it soon.
0: Yeah, it's a huge problem. And it's a little bit of the tragedy of the commons. Like, unless you're a big visible tech company, like you said, everyone just seems to think, oh, somebody else is going to solve. Am I correct in understanding that most of the people that this initiative you're working on that you're targeting are companies? Or is it individuals? What do you view that breakdown as likely to be?
2: I think companies. And I'll give you an analogy here. plastic versus paper straws In theory, it is better for the world if we all use paper straws. I'm told the the math works out for the environment. But even if every single human as a consumer switched to paper straws, we wouldn't make a huge dent in the environment. The real issue is the big companies who are polluting and using plastics at corporation scale. And honestly, the fact that a lot of people have been forced to move to paper straws has made them angry about paper straws and maybe even weakened their (laughs) resolve to help with the environment. I don't think it's the like
1: electric cars. So people like want to buy more gasoline cars. Now I
2: hate the fact that people are making them buy electric cars. Yeah. It, it's not that we shouldn't invest and work on our future in that way. I'm very behind helping save the environment and reducing our dependency on polluting and world ending oil. But that's not the way that's going to convince people or make a huge impact, at least for the straws. And then similar with open source, I think asking people, individual consumers to give $100 a month to open source really make the world a better place. It's not wrong, but companies are ones that have the big pockets and who are really profiting off open source without giving back as much. So I think, yeah, consumers could give, it's nice, but the real people who we need to target are the million, billion, trillion dollar companies that should, could or should be doing more.
0: Do you think there's a blockchain-based solution here on the horizon or something like that? Or Web3? People talk about investing in protocols and making it. That might be a way to get the consumerization of of open source to work? Or the jury's still out on that in your mind. Do you think there's potential there? Let's put it that way. No. Okay.
1: Okay. Ethereum is an open source project with $700
2: billion in it. So
1: it's already a thing. I,
0: I,
2: I will... I reckon. Okay, I'll give you an actual answer. I recognize that blockchain is cool technology with a lot of potential and promise. I think the vast majority of its applications today, this year, are not a waste of time, but not going to pan out. And because there's so much, you live in the country with laws. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. My my brother is real into crypto. Now, every time we talk about it, it's a whole thing. I don't want to get into it personally too much because it's not an area I deeply understand. And the reason why I haven't taken the time to deeply understand it is because there's so much crap to wade through that I don't feel confident that I will get anywhere good anytime soon. If you want to discuss it, I'm happy to listen. I
1: would be happy to explain some things to you. I would say you don't need to drink the Kool-Aid, but I would say if you, don't, if you feel like you don't know much about it, don't feel the need to say this is useless,
0: first of all. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, yeah, I, gonna I apologize for taking this. a step. Stab- <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> uh- it's a dangerous road. We,
0: yeah, it did.
1: Is that the last uh, time we talked about Web3 on JavaScript Jam? So yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't work on
0: a Web3 company anymore. So I, we did have Jason come to the stage. Did you have a question? I do want to get us to TypeScript, which is ostensibly why Josh is here. Jason, did you have a question or comment? Oh, let's see.
3: Yeah, so in the effort of at transitioning us to TypeScript, I'll keep my comment brief. But I think the yeah, the key problem with monetizing open source is finding the buyer. And the people that actually have the money are the corporations and the people that know how to sell into those corporations, Microsoft is probably top on that pile. And given that Microsoft now owns a vast majority of the developer ecosystem and Mindshare via NPM and GitHub, yeah, it, it's shocking that there hasn't been something more substantial there. Not that it doesn't surprise me that Microsoft wouldn't be able to move on something like this, but it seems like they would be in a really good position to offer something more than just sponsorships. But I'll keep it. I'll keep it at that someone who spent a good chunk of the last decade selling open source software commercially
0: yeah jason was at sentia which was actually trying to monetize a javascript framework back in the day Yeah, oh yeah we were so quite this, successful yeah. at it
3: but the funny thing we found out after many years of doing this is our smallest package was like a solo developer you could buy a individual developer license and we'd find out that there's these massive corporations that because the cheapest thing on our website was the solo developer license. That's all they bought. Okay. And so, on to TypeScript. I personally, I've been as a longtime JavaScript developer. I've finally made the transition myself to TypeScript and spent the last three or four months like really trying to learn it. Yeah. I'm pretty bullish on TypeScript now after being, I'm actually a laggard, I guess, at this point. But yeah, let's talk about TypeScript.
0: <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I'll get to Jen in a second. I just want to emphasize again and remind folks, if you're just joining us, Josh did a crash course on TypeScript with us. You can find it on our YouTube channel. It's in our newsletter this week. You can go to javascriptjam.com. It's and pinned that. to the top. Oh, thank you. And it's pinned up to the top of the space. If you haven't got on the TypeScript train, Now is the time. If you're looking at the state of JavaScript survey, if you looked at the Jamstack survey, it was TypeScript, TypeScript. It was like the only thing that was both popular and growing and everyone loved. It was like a clear winner in the space. And so it's been a huge success over the years. With that said, let me turn it over to, we've got Jen and then Eric came up to the stage. I'll let them come before I I or Anthony jump in. Jen, go ahead.
4: Hello, hello, beautiful humans and... Josh, I feel like I've asked you this question like a million times, but I'm excited to ask you with many different people here of why was TypeScript created? This is a three-part question. Why was TypeScript created? How long has it been around? And why did it take so long for people to get on the bad wagon since it's been pretty controversial of if people should use it or not? Hi, Jen.
2: Good to see you again. Those are three great questions. I'm going to try to be good at answering one at a time and pausing, but someone scream at me if I screw this up. So why was TypeScript created? Great question. JavaScript is not good at writing big applications. JavaScript does not have a lot of development time utilities that other more tailored to big apps languages do have, say, ways to indicate what types of things are supposed to be. Um, And the difference there, I like to call it the difference between documenting your your values versus your intent. JavaScript lets you define values, functions, classes, variables, whatever, but it doesn't let you describe the intent of them, whether a function is supposed to take in a string or a number or some particular object shape. TypeScript adds the ability to describe your intent in your code to JavaScript. It adds it in a way that is very good, unlike some of the community-maintained standards for JavaScript, like JSDoc, where you write things in comments. TypeScript gives really good development tooling, so you can do things like go to definition, Find all references, rename automatically. Things that are really nice for developers, and because JavaScript needs all those things added, TypeScript has been created and later on, much, very much successful because it does a good job at letting you build larger applications with fewer bugs and a speedier dev efforts by adding those things. Does that answer the question you were looking for? That kind of marketing spiel. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I guess as a, <laughs> I think it's a good answer with as a marketing spiel, but like why such a controversy around it then if so many people are like TypeScript is really difficult. I will say I've been fortunate enough to have a really great teacher. Thanks, Josh. Of As I'm learning TypeScript, yet hearing so many people like say, that they don't want to touch it. It's crazy. It's really hard to understand. Do you remember the first conversation you had about TypeScript? (laughs) (laughs) That's why. (laughs) But it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people (laughs) like that. Yes, my first conversation was rough.
2: That's because we're programmers and we are sandy and angry about everything. JavaScript is a wild and wacky world. There are lots of wild and wacky things people do with JavaScript and TypeScript has to represent them. So most of the time, When someone complains about TypeScript, they're either complaining just about generally the fact that they have to learn a new thing and it's not clicking, which happens with every new thing, whether it's a language or a framework or anything, or they're complaining about some wild and wacky part of TypeScript that's there because it needs to be to let people write their existing apps. In TypeScript. So, from a technical perspective, TypeScript, the not marketing spiel, TypeScript's type system develops an understanding of how your JavaScript code is supposed to work, all the variables, all the possible object shapes, all the places that you might call those object shapes in particular ways, and then yells at you if you do something that seems like a mismatch. If you declare a function that's supposed to take in an object and then pass it in like a string instead or something. But because people do such weird things in JavaScript, TypeScript's type system has to be complex and have weird and wacky things like logic in the type system. Like people have literally implemented TypeScript, the language in its type system. And that's normally what people yell about. I'll also say that there is a big ideological debate, again, because we're developers and we're angry about everything. Should you add types to JavaScript? What's the right way? TypeScript has an opinion where its types are only at development time, not at runtime, the way other languages like C-sharp and Java do which then means that people coming from those languages hate it. And then people coming from more purist languages like Python or Ruby pre this era, before they had types, didn't like that they were adding types to JavaScript. So there's no way for any one language, especially a language in the JavaScript space to make everyone happy. But TypeScript, I think has made a lot of really good choices that lets it straddle the line, which is part of why it's good.
0: Jen, I take it that answered your question? It did. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Eric, I think you're up next. Another regular here at JavaScript jam. Eric, go ahead and comment or question. Yeah.
5: Sorry. This is just a beautiful example of what types mean to JavaScript. It's such a JavaScript is such an organically grown thing from a long time ago where anything goes and. A string and a number, because we're dealing with input, strings and numbers are the same thing equals equals. It's a difficult world to build a strongly typed thing around. And, and like, I remember four years ago where it wasn't clear whether flow or TypeScript was gonna be the dominant way of typing JavaScript. And in one of my libraries, I chose poorly because I thought, oh, Facebook's gonna maintain flow forever. But it's an interesting problem. And today, like literally today, uh, I made a big refactor in a code base that I'm still new to. And TypeScript was like, you forget all these other least seventeen other things that you didn't that you, that that you didn't realize. But with JavaScript, JavaScript would have been like, yeah, whatever, fine. So I don't know. I think it's a wonderful. It's a shame that it's still a layer atop of JavaScript, like one. I don't know. There are pros to un the not strongly typed languages that the Python people will tell you all about, but the uh, for building large applications as as one of you mentioned, it's it really is superior. plus one I'm sorry that you chose poorly
2: in that one project. I really do wish flow had more lagged that for those who haven't played with it, which is I think probably many Facebook had its own equivalent to types you called flow flow actually did really well at the beginning because it had quite a few features. TypeScript did not. Like it supported plain JavaScript files much nicer, but they haven't been supporting flow in the open source space as
5: actively and proactively as TypeScript has been. And, 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 it's a pity. And it, and, it all, and it was all like super, it was written in some other language that like it wasn't Rust, but it was some other thing that was like more clever than JavaScript could be. And anyway, yeah, it's a shame that it died. Like,
0: well, why... So oh, first off just for the audience so people are aware Eric is the creator of two popular at least two popular react libraries redux form and, and final form so he's speaking as a maintainer but i guess I, I interrupted you but the question i want to ask both of you is like why do you think flow didn't win
5: it's a matter of maintenance like the <clears throat> in the same way that like angular was backed by google but not really, because they weren't really building all of their stuff with Google. And whereas Facebook was actually building all of their crap with React. They had a lot more invested in that. And it felt to me like, oh, in that same way, Facebook is going to continue to maintain this flow thing for the rest of us. But and as far as I know, they have maintained made- <laughs> Internally, it just didn't feel like uh, sharing it with the rest of us. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point, I think.
2: The amount of success Facebook has had with React is incredible. Just to... There's a funny irony here that I like the analogy of Windows Phone compared to iPhone and Android, where Flow was a little bit of a Windows Phone in that it had some legitimately great points to it, but it wasn't supported as well as the actual popular phone platforms. And it just didn't have the community support. People didn't support it in the community because it didn't have great community support because people, et cetera, et cetera. I will also note though, that one of the core maintainers on TypeScript ESLint actually was on the flow team until recently, and is a really big fan of the language and can probably give a very good set of answers that I don't know of as to why that language is fantastic. They still are working on flow. It's just, they're targeting it more, I think for very big applications, like really big. So it's not as publicly oriented and polished the way TypeScript is, which is probably another reason why it's not so widely used anymore. And like
5: TypeScript came from like the .NET C Sharp land, which as a JavaScript is, feels gross to me, but like that's where it came from.
2: Some of the people, yeah. Anders Halsberg, the uh, creator of C Sharp, also created TypeScript. I'm curious, did you have a bad taste in your mouth when you first read it, thinking, oh, we're all going to get converted to .NET style oop,
5: now, object-oriented programming, when you first saw TypeScript? It was just like, wait a minute, Microsoft my, Microsoft is doing something in, in my JavaScript land? It, it was gross at first, but now Microsoft owns JavaScript. So it's okay. I will do your bidding. Yeah, funny how that reputation has
2: changed. Back in the 10, if TypeScript had come out in 2002 instead of roughly 2012, then I, I don't think anyone would have adopted it. But the Microsoft rep has really improved.
0: It's nice to see.
1: now they get to run intelligence for the rest of our lives
0: yay how much do you think the visual studio and their other influence was a key contributor here to to the dominance and success of typescript what do you think was the reason typescript succeeded how about ignoring the angular (laughs) and was there a key inflection point in TypeScript's history that you think was the crucial? Was it, as Eric is suggesting, when Flow failed to get traction as a community? Is, are there uh, key inflection points you'd point to where in your, at least your experience, you felt, Josh, that it's definitely picking up over its history?
2: The problem with asking one person is that, because it's such a one. I-
5: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying. To- <laughs> Twitter gave me a yeah, soundboard, here. and I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> that was fantastic. I love that very much. I think the problem with asking any one person such as me is that TypeScript is so widely used that no one perspective really encompasses everything unless you ask like Anders or someone on the team. But I think there are a lot of really important inflection points that added together nicely to make it continuously get more and more good. Angular adopting TypeScript was a huge one that was very successful. The fact that there was no strong competitor to TypeScript for years and years was a huge one. It took a while until Flow came out. Flow not... Flow not really jumping forward and competing with TypeScript as nicely as it needed to succeed was another one. Flow never really nailed the day-to-day quality. There were a lot of like small like performance or user experience bugs that just lasted a while. I think the TypeScript community really was a huge inflection point. There's this huge repo, definitely typed, that stores all the community author type definitions, which is not what always was used for TypeScript's community types, but now is the thing and is very fantastic. And yeah, just generally the synergy with VS Code meant that if you wanted to be a web developer, you didn't have to choose between five different good editor options and three different JavaScript variants that somehow were like Java or coffee puns. It was, okay, you start a project with React and TypeScript in VS Code using NPM, maybe later Yarn, and that was just the thing to do. So it hit that kind of community saturation point the same way that React did, which was really good for
3: it.
5: I mean, I'm a little uneasy with how... Microsoft had their whole monopoly problems a long time ago. At the moment, Microsoft owns GitHub, NPM, VS Code, Copilot, and TypeScript, and Playwright, And it feels a little like we're putting a lot of our eggs in the one basket that is i don't know now like later we should talk about how react is now being purchased by vercel but but that that it feels a little scary that everything is going to the one owner i don't know a pint. yeah you either die a hero or live long
2: enough the i think all the major companies are at their core not evil or good but money oriented and all the major tech companies either have learned or are currently learning the hard way, that if you are too money oriented to the point of being evil, it will have a negative impact on you. Look at Ops monopoly shenanigans, their capitulance to open source, especially Linux. Then look at Google and Apple going through other monopoly things. I think that we don't have any good options out there. We just have options that have learned their lesson. And for the time being, have a good leader and aren't so bad. I've tried maybe this is not the right attitude but I've hit the point of shrug when it comes to which evil mega corporation is owning all of our assets.
0: So that might be a good seg. TypeScript's clearly the dominant choice here other than JavaScript. <clears throat> how do we how do you make the decision if you're on a project? When is a good project for TypeScript and when is a bad project for TypeScript or all projects, they should be on TypeScript. What's what's the decision criteria you'd suggest?
2: I really wish I could answer that with every project because that would be easy, but that's not the case. Per project, I try to go with vaguely, generally speaking, a rule of three. If you have at least three developers, or if you have at least three files, you should probably maybe go with TypeScript, but it's really you slash project dependent. If you're on a team of developers who have never touched TypeScript and you're in a hurry, you have big deadlines, a lot of pressure, whatever, maybe don't switch to TypeScript. It is an investment in yourself that you might not have the budget for. So it's always a pro and con case. But the pros for TypeScript are really good. And the vast majority of the time, I think theoretically, and at least in my experience, the pros far outweigh the cons. Because they're smaller, I'll start with the cons. The cons are, it's a new thing for you to learn. It adds complexity conceptually to your code, sort of, at least it makes it so that you have to describe your complexities of things in your code, even though they were probably there to begin with. It adds complexity to your build chain. And it's just, it takes time to learn a thing. But the pros are you get much better development tooling, you get better better bud catching, you get good doc standards, which means that it's easier to describe your intent, easier for developers to share knowledge. You get just the swag of saying TypeScript, which at this point is a positive when you're trying to recruit. Just a lot of really good things going for TypeScript. Um, I think it, it's not super useful if you just have a couple of node files or it's just like you working on some small thing on the side. But anytime you need to work long-term in a project or work with multiple people or both, then those pros really start to get quite valuable. And I find it hard to make the case against TypeScript. I love the three files bar. So
5: ridiculously low, I
2: love it. Thanks, yeah. As soon as you have one file importing from another file, you now have to keep track of two things in your mind. You have to keep track of file A things that say file A imports B. And then while you're looking at file A, you also have to mentally keep track of file B, which may be complex, may be simple, who knows? And then whenever you change file B, you then also want to be notified in some way that file A may or may not need to be changed. So it's just, it makes a lot of sense that, okay, you got TypeScript to let you know if you screwed something up and need to adjust.
5: May I politely request Theo come up up to the stage? Because I really enjoyed Theo's latest video about about, uh, typing functions and stuff. And... Hi, Theo. I, I want to say hi and thanks. Hey,
6: Hello. Theo. I had to come up. I had to come up for the, when should you use or not use TypeScript conversation? Because as per usual, I'm slightly harder stance than Josh here. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. I'm at the point where if it can be in JavaScript, it probably should be in TypeScript. I agree that yes. like, if a given set of developers hasn't learned TypeScript yet, and you have deadlines and priorities that are slightly higher then significantly improving their agility in the future, significantly improving the safety of your code base and significantly improving the livelihoods of anyone whose job it is to touch code. If you have a priority that's higher than that, yeah, you should take care of that priority. But the second that priority is done, you should start teaching your team TypeScript because it will make them better. I agree with that. Actually,
2: Theo, you know, I think we might have a very similar level of intensity here. Uh, I just, I'm hesitant. <laughs> I'm not good at displaying the intensity. I also think that if your team can't learn TypeScript because of timelines for whatever a year and a half, that's a problem with your team's timelines. Like you should be able to take the time to learn and use TypeScript and, if that's beneficial. And crazy thought, maybe if you did learn TypeScript, your timelines will
6: suddenly start getting closed way faster. I know I personally code significantly faster, even on small things with TypeScript. I compete in advent of code every year and I regularly break top 200 in the world. And I do that with strict TypeScript. I don't have any NEs in my competitive programming challenges.
5: Yeah, I recently went through some some coding interview stuff, and it was when they wanted me to do it in JavaScript, I was like, ah, I feel like I'm slower with this, and it was just so hard. But yes, I totally agree. TypeScript is, once you're used to it, it is way faster.
0: So we have Gaurav, who has his hand up. Gaurav, do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I just wanted to comment on TypeScript. I used to not like TypeScript until about a year back. And then like my current company, like we have huge monorepos, which is when I realized it actually quite useful because like we have so many files and then so many contributors working on the same repository. And most of the time, not a lot of people have the idea when touching a different file. But then what comes in handy and super useful is the TypeScript types which don't let people check in like improper arguments or not missing the mandatory arguments, which is the best part I like about it. Yeah. Very handy in case of huge manipulators. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Maybe let's think about this the way a CFO might, like your chief financial officer. What is the amount of additional ramp time if your team doesn't know TypeScript it is going to take for the team to ramp up? And then how long does it take for that to pay for itself in, say productivity of the team down the line?
2: I'll let Jeff first. Uh, I was about to say the same thing for you. Tough to answer in absolutes. It depends on the composition of your team. Senior people learn things faster or more experienced. Some in, as a whole, some people are just better at learning faster than others. I'd say... In the teams that I've converted to TypeScript personally, they're pretty efficient, like they've broken even, they're at least as efficient as they were within, let's say, a month of passive conversion, and within a couple of weeks of active conversion. And they're still learning TypeScript invariably for the first few months, there's no way to learn a new language, even if it's a superset language that builds on another in less than a couple of months, unless you're really focusing on it. But I'd say that it's probably financially worthwhile in my experience, at least within the first month, just in terms of developer efficiency. I mean, as Theo said, it's much better. And I have never seen a TypeScript conversion of like a real project that did not find bugs. So no matter what, just the fact that you got it converted to TypeScript, even if you don't merge that pull request or set of pull requests means you found bugs that would have cost you revenue. I would say there's a couple
6: really big factors that determine a lot of the like success and timelines here. One that I think we don't talk about enough is there already someone experienced with TypeScript or TypeScript advocate within the team or company. If there is, that could exponentially increase the speed of these conversions and the onboarding success the of a given team moving to TypeScript from a code base that isn't on TypeScript yet. So like hiring in Or people who already know TypeScript, or just giving more like buy in to the people who know already. Even if it's like you have two juniors on your team who know TypeScript already and a bunch of principals who don't, if your team and your company's architected in a way where those juniors can lead the charge, you're probably going to find success with these conversions faster. The other side, this is something I've learned a lot about now, is like a CEO, is the value of buying into the things that you're team believes, even if you don't fully understand or believe them. So as a CFO, there's a really cool opportunity here to listen to the engineers who are pushing for this and say, yeah, I trust you. You can take ownership of this. If you truly believe this will make us faster, do it. And even if it fails, the amount of like trust and buy-in and energy you can give an engineering team by build- buying into them like that is almost always worth it even if like numerically the actual like success of the project doesn't.
0: That's really helpful mm-hmm. and powerful. Jason, you have your hand up. Yeah, I'll
3: agree with everything that Josh and Theo were just saying. I think from a purely CFO or CTO level decision-making process it, it matters a lot the size of the existing code base. So it while it's pretty relatively easy to adopt tape strip incremental it is a cost that you're going to have to go through to convert everything so if you have a really large code base it could take years or maybe not years but it could take a man person years of time to get your code base fully converted even though you don't have to that would just be the main thing i would add from a purely financial standpoint but i, I do agree that the in, improvements of efficiency will accrete very quickly if you think of it purely from a financial standpoint. And I'm, after my personal conversion to being a TypeScript promoter, now I'm pushing my teams to start to use TypeScript wherever possible on our projects. So that is definitely, I can see the benefits now. The one sticking point I've had is TypeScript for me as a someone who's been using j- <clears throat> JavaScript since the Clinton administration, it was easy to build apps with it and it didn't take me that long to figure it out. But once I started trying to do any kind of library code that's where I really hit the, the valley of the shadows of darkness, <laughs> and it took me a while to come out of it, but I feel like I'm, I'm starting to get onto the other side of that now. Libraries and generics really started to get, get really wacky for me as someone with lots of JavaScript
2: experience. This was a Twitter thing over the summer, I think. Uh, TypeScript for libraries versus TypeScript for apps. You're absolutely right. Plus one, in general, libraries can sometimes be some of the most complex code in terms of concepts in the code. When you look at libraries that are generic data handlers or schema validators, things like trpc or zod or iots, they do wild and wacky things like they they operate on generic pieces of data. They take an object based on those object keys, make a new one with keys that have names that are modified based on the original names and values modified based on the original types. Things like that that are very difficult to conceptually describe in plain English, let alone in schematics or in code. So yeah, you end up having to learn this whole new fun area of TypeScript, the generics type system shenanigans. And that can be tough for people because it's an investment and it's not a way of thinking that most of us come into JavaScript or TypeScript with. Being able to describe in the type system, a generic function that takes in an object and returns a new object with a type based on the original one. But once you do know those things, you can write these really nice libraries that wrap and encapsulate those shenanigans so that users writing their apps don't have to do them. And I think that libraries that do a really good job of that are the ones I mentioned, like Zod and trpc. I think that kind of speaks to a larger truth in industry, that we are constantly in web dev and programming as a whole, moving complexity away from the app writers, moving things like UI management or state management into these libraries where even if the libraries have a simple API, they may or may not have a complex type shenanigan internal core that is hidden from the user as much as possible. And that lets us be more productive. So I'm happy about it.
6: Yeah, that touched on the one point I wanted to add, which is that one of the like reasons TypeScript is such a pleasant experience for app writers and user-facing developers is that a lot of the complexity and scope of concern that we used to own has now been moved to TypeScript. By moving it to TypeScript, we've also now moved a lot of that complexity and concern into the hands of the developers of those libraries. So we're standing on their shoulders as we have this better experience. Like if the goal is get to get to the top, TypeScript gets us halfway, the library developers get us like another 2 or another third, and then what's left is what you're doing. It's like, oh, this is so much easier than it was before. But that's exclusively because of the hard work those other developers and like systems have done to make it easier for us to iterate.
1: Can you take a second and for people who are maybe newer to this ecosystem, explain TRPC and Zod and how like, how they relate to TypeScript and how they're enabled by
6: it? Can I do this one quick? because I have to run to go prep for stream. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so TLDR, Zod is a validation library. It was, it's similar to, or the libraries like that. It's for taking an object, usually like data you're submitting from a form or something and making sure it fits a specific shape. The libraries that existed before Zod for this were pretty boring and generic and would just give you the type of the data you're passing it usually. What Zod did differently was write a custom type, like not really a generator, because it's not code gen, but a really complex type system where based on the validation and parsing you have done on data will give you like the exact correct type on the other side, which makes it trivial to parse, validate, and modify data that you're getting through places that might not be safe, like an external API or a user submitting it. And TRPC was originally created by the person who created Zod and it was built around using Zod as a kind of like the source of truth for building APIs where you build a function, you use Zod to validate the input, and then you can call that function from the client. And the goal was to do something similar to the experience you have with GraphQL, But instead of having a contract system that you define through something like a schema or you generate through something that's a mistake like a Sura, instead of that, you use your type definitions the same way you would if you were calling a client function on a client or a server function on a server. The only difference is you're calling a server function on the client and TypeScript's being used as a hack to tell the client which endpoint to hit.
2: Plus one, good explanation.
1: Yeah, if you want to add anything to that, Josh, or if not, feel free to continue on.
0: No,
2: 100%.
0: Maybe one thing I'll jump in here. It's, it's interesting how TypeScript becomes a level of abstraction, giving us Zod and trpc sitting on that, to what Theo was talking about, standing on the shoulders of giants with a new abstraction layer, with what Tanner Lindsay did with his router, and now making the router based on types. It's just something you may not have thought of adding type to and getting the leverage out of that in yet another domain is just really fascinating to me. I don't know if you guys want to comment on that, or if there are other examples you can think of that come to mind of just really powerful layering on top of once you've got types into the system.
2: Yeah, I haven't poked at Tanner's stuff too much, but what I've seen from the surface seems awesome. I've been complaining over the last year that I don't have visibility into any design system tooling that I really, they all have some flaw, like performance or not great types. But I will say that the way that we did the design system at Code Academy, it's open source, it's called Gamut, is really nifty. It's a CSS and JS lib where you have box style props, meaning you write components, and then instead of defining your styles elsewhere, you just pass things like color equals as React props on the component. And those props are then type safe and responsive, so you can pass an object like underscore, colon, small, B, colon, large, to indicate that in the mobile viewport, it's whatever prop small, and the medium viewport, it's large. I think that design systems are a fantastic place to have good type safety, where you can enforce at development time that people are passing in the right constants or whatever references to your design system tokens. I apologize to all the backend developers who zoned out for that entire spiel, but it's really a beautiful thing.
0: Jason, you have your hand up.
3: Well, I was just going to plug Theo's T3, or Create T3 app, as a, a, an excellent example of double plug, combining all of those pieces together of t- TRPC and React and TypeScript and having it all put together out of the box. So I just built an app over the last couple of weeks using it. And it was a very smooth and pleasant experience. sweet, right? Yes. Yeah, it's the, t- t- the t- t- uh, yeah, TRPC is, is, is pretty clean. I'm very happy with it. My video my
0: card is now complete. But we should explain for people what TRP, oh, sorry, what T3 app is. Do you want to do that Actually, again?
3: I have to drop for
6: another meeting,
0: but I can yeah. take,
6: I'll take my plug and, I, and run with it.
0: My, my stream is run. delayed I'll
4: because,
6: yeah, my stream's delayed because there are a bunch of sirens outside. There was a small accident. So wait until that's over. I can explain this quick. Oh, yeah. TLDR create take. T3 app is that. A lot of people in my community were asking me to make a template for the technologies I use and recommend for stuff. And I like put my foot down and said, No, I'm not doing this. Because if I do this, y'all are going to start installing like off libraries and database systems on your blogs. The only thing I would consider is doing something more dynamic, where like you pick the technologies you want, and we assemble a template based on that. But that's a lot of work. And I don't feel like it. If anybody wants to go do it, though, feel free. Nexel stepped up to take the challenge and made Create D3 app, which was a bunch of like my way of using these technologies together. You select the ones you want and it would assemble it for you. And the yeah, as soon as I tried it for the first, I was like, oh yeah, this is dope. I will be using this for every project now. Opened some issues with some things that I thought we should change. Slowly the community started noticing, especially when I started using it on stream. We're now at 170 plus contributions in six months. We're outpacing Remix for new projects started. And it's just a really pleasant way to get started building full-stack type safe
1: NextJS apps. You already almost have as many stars as Redwood, which is like over three years old. And also, Nexel is like a 17-year-old like Indian high schooler who created it. He was 15 when he started, I think he just turned 16, not 17, if I recall. I could be wrong. I think he was 16 when he started, and now he's 17. But I could also be wrong, but yeah. Check that Sweet. Yeah, I actually first started, first started using it right around when it came out and it totally blew my mind because I hadn't really used tRPC yet. i had heard about it a lot and I really wanted to get into it, but I didn't really have a lot of TypeScript knowledge yet. So it was like, it was a lot like when I saw Redwood, it was like handing me this whole combination of things that allowed me to use cool tech that I didn't quite understand or know how to configure myself. But then by using it, I eventually learned it and could configure it by myself. that is a super cool part of it is that it gives you a really like sophisticated stack in a very usable way that allows you to actually learn how it functions. And it puts you at a good enough starting
6: point that if you make mistakes, you can bring them to the community. And it's usually pretty easy for us to figure out what's going on. It makes like for us, the process of debugging and helping people significantly better.
1: Just make sure you use the questions channel. Yes, please use the questions channel. We got someone hopping up actually possibly to ask a question they have zero
5: followers hopefully
1: they're not a bot
5: excuse me really? i would like to talk about how spongebob is the best tv show ever can
6: you
1: why did you yeah. all right about that i'm gonna need to kick this person yeah as soon as i put him up like this is probably not someone i actually want up here It's the first time i ever hit the mute everyone button i felt so I powerful
2: I was interested in where that was going. I like SpongeBob, but I agree with your decision. I
1: always feel like they might be a newbie. Maybe they just created a Twitter account. They really have an important question. So I I would, and then I regret it.
0: It's happened. It's Twitter spaces. It's the fun of being live. We are at the top of the hour. And I just want to thank, I actually have to run as well, but i leave you in Anthony's hands along with Josh. And just thank Josh for being our guest today. And thank all the speakers. Encourage everyone here. If you're getting any value out of anyone here, click on their face and follow them, even if maybe they're talking about SpongeBob and you love SpongeBob. And then also check out javascriptjam.com. That's where we have our newsletter. We usually have a list of topics that we'll talk about and what we will look forward to, as well as a link to the previous week's recordings. With that said, I'll turn you back over to Anthony. Thank you, everyone.
1: Yeah, I was saying, Josh, are there like any big topics that you wanted to hit on that we haven't talked about yet? Otherwise, I'll open it up. To any more questions, if anyone has it, and then we can start wrapping it up.
2: Oh, yeah. I'll blaze through these. TypeScript is great. However, it's very configurable. You don't have to use the super strict awesome version of it. You can ease into things. If you are using TypeScript, I highly recommend linting your code with ESLint and formatting your code with prettier. That's just true for JavaScript as a whole. And then use TypeScript ESLint to get nice, good ESLint rules and infrastructure for your TS code. I'd say if you have a problem with your types getting too complex and unreadable, it might be because your code is too complex and unreadable, or just the concepts behind it are hard to represent. Types that are complex are a symptom of complexity. Those are my main soapboxes. I yield the floor.
1: Cool. I did have this actually question from Ishan, but I think it's a good one. Do you think that there's any criticisms of TypeScripts that you agree with?
2: Wait, people criticize TypeScript?
1: <laughs> Someone, somewhere, at least once.
2: Absolutely. Nothing is perfect. The TypeScript team is a team just like any other. They have finite resources, constrictions, and things they have to work with. I think the type error messages in TypeScript can sometimes be very difficult, especially unfriendly to newcomers. Performance is good. It's actually getting like a significant percentage faster in the next major version of TypeScript 5.0. But it's written in TypeScript and compiled to JavaScript. So it's not as good as a Rust native library, although that will probably get better and better. They do have someone working on Perk. I think the TypeScript docs are good, but not great. They used to be not particularly good. And then the Rocks did a lot of great work on them. Yeah, he's like <laughs> the TypeScript hero. Yeah, truly. It's, in- it's funny to think of someone in terms of like how many thousands, millions, whatever of dev minutes, hours, they've saved the world. But yeah, I mean, there are always criticisms. There's some things the type system doesn't do particularly well, maybe because they haven't implemented it, maybe for backwards compatibility with old versions, maybe because it's not fast enough to do well. Like dependent types, which are a really fancy way of saying Types that understand what code you might have called. If you call a function that updates a value, the type system would understand that the value has been updated. That's just not in TypeScript. That's not something most people understand or ask for, but it would be really nice. Yeah, TypeScript's not perfect. There are some architectural things that aren't perfect, and there are just some things that are not great. And then,
1: are you familiar? There's a post that Ryan Carniato wrote called The Trouble with TypeScript. I'll pan it to the top. you ever read that one?
2: but I'm frantically googling
1: (laughs) yeah it's funny when I first heard that he was a typescript skeptic I was like sweet I finally met another one (laughs) and someone who's actually respected (laughs) but um, yeah I mean I was I wouldn't say I was like typescript skeptical so much as that I was in a position where I really didn't need it and didn't feel the need to use it but once i started using it like i got it and i got why people found it valuable for the things they used it for i still don't think i really need it for the things i'm doing i know theo would disagree with that but yeah i just I like dynamic languages i don't know i mean, there's developers who've been writing ruby for like 20 years have like never used a typed language and they seem to be doing just fine but there's I saw a couple people hop in a little bit if anyone wants to ask some questions we're probably gonna be getting Close to closing it out in a bit, but I think we still got time. You don't have a hard stop at any time. No,
2: I'm good. I'm reading, I'm skimming through the post now. And yeah, I agree with some of these points. It is funny that people, there are legitimately people who are extremely productive in like untyped Python, Ruby, JavaScript, PHP, and that's just fine. Works for you. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and pin this to
1: the top. It's so hard to do anything on your phone through spaces. All right.
2: I will say while you're posting that though that I try to be very balanced in, in in discussing or responding to points against TypeScript because there are very many good ones and this is just reading the post and knowing Ryan or knowing of Ryan, I'm sure this is very good and well thought out. But there's a reason why TypeScript is so popular. It is fantastic and like I personally would be horrified if I had to join a team that did not use TypeScript at scale, whether it's front end, back end, full stack, whatever.
1: So would that be like? Would that be a reason for you to like to not take a job if they weren't using TypeScript?
2: At this at this point in my life, if I were to join a job, the two options would be they're on TypeScript or they're excited about me converting them to TypeScript. Yeah. Sweet, we got Dev up here.
1: Dev is another member of the whole T three cult. And Hacksor is requesting. Let me see if this is a person. They look person like.
7: Hey, how's it going? How's my audio? Sound good. Cool. Heard you're talking about TypeScript? We Still are. About TypeScript. Have you used TypeScript
0: before?
7: Sorry, what did you ask? I so said, have you ever used TypeScript before? Yeah, like a couple times. Like I've been using TypeScript for the last, <laughs> I don't know, two, three years and stuff. So, so I would say a little bit.
1: Do you have a question or thoughts, or you just want to come chill.
7: Mostly, just wanted to come chill. We can talk a little. I really love TypeScript, but there are certain things that I really wish it had. So I guess that's something that we can explore. What, like, what is something that you wish TypeScript had that would make your life easier? And I can go after everyone else. Thank you.
2: Oh, you've activated my trap card. So dependent types would be really nice. which I mentioned a few minutes ago and it's like, a, I don't know. It, it's fine without it, but it would be really nice. It would just give TypeScript a better understanding of how values change over time. Functional programmers don't care about this because it, it, all their values are constant. But from an API standpoint, TypeScript's node APIs or JavaScript APIs that you like might call, you import something from the TypeScript package. They don't provide a way to check whether one type is assignable to another type, which most TypeScript users don't care about what I just said. But from the tooling perspective, it would be really nice to have a type relations API, as the TypeScript issue calls it. In TypeScript Lynch, we have a bunch of lynch rules that use TypeScript's type checker to to yell at you if you do something probably wrong in your code, give you make a promise and don't handle it like a wait or a dot then it. Or if you use a for in loop on an array instead of a for of loop, and then there's just so many lint rules that we want to write, but can't because TypeScript doesn't have a type relationship API. Like we would want to like be able to have a lint rule that lets you, if you add a type annotation that doesn't actually change the type or even worse, makes your types less precise. If you declare a variable as a constant string, which types we can infer to be the literal string type, like high rather than the general string, but then use a type annotation to switch it back to string. Like that's not just useless. That actually hurts your code. So, yeah, I would love that. But from like a to actually answer that most people here would care about, I think if TypeScript had a better command line interface combined with a better like VS Code slash editor experience yes. explaining errors to you, that would just be cash. That would be so nice. If you look at the flow or Rust command lines, that's what I want TypeScript to look like. Yeah, the errors are a little rough.
7: Yeah, definitely agreed on the second part. But I'm not sure I'm aware of it aware about the type relations or dependent types, can you like give a few more examples of why that is useful and what other languages have it?
2: Yeah, I'm not even going to, I don't know how to use Twitter spaces in my weird setup now, but there's this really cool project from someone named Ben called Esno, E-Z-N-O, which is TypeScript. Put it up. Oh, yes. Thank you. It's there's this blog post introducing as no, it's like TypeScript, but it's got a lot of cool type features. And it has a really nice explanation of dependent typing. So The fact that you're
1: ready to end this, I've heard of this. And I was like, this is one of those things that it seems very ambitious. And if it does actually take off, though, it could be a really big deal. So I think this is something people should pay attention
2: to. Yeah. I don't know if this particular project will be successful, but I hope it is, and I know someone eventually it will. It points to
1: the way where things are going, regardless, right?
2: Yeah. The example in this article that I really like for explaining dependent typings is if you search for "add one and e," there's a function where "add one" as a function takes in an x number and returns x plus one, and then type as no would be able to infer that if you pass in three, the function returns the literal value four. So that's just really nice. Like TypeScript doesn't do that. It's not powerful enough. It's too slow. Another cool thing, if you look for effects, get five is the search term e- as no or easy no would understand that if you call a function called get five on an object that says object.x plus equals one, after calling that function, that object's X would in fact be whatever it was before plus one. Like it, it understands effects or effect tracking, where the type system understands how your values change over time, which means that it understands that much more deeply how your code looks as it changes over time. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but that's kind of the best I got. And this post is a really cool exploration of what you could do in TypeScript if it were much faster and written in Rust.
7: Actually, speaking of effects, have you heard about effect TS? Could we actually,
1: let's uh, take a pause for a second, create a hack source question. Yeah, I think mine was controversial. I was going to ask, I think it was said before that if you were working in a code base that wasn't TypeScript, it would be bad and you might not want to do it. But what is the stance of everybody on object-oriented programming with TypeScript? Seems like a bit controversial in some cases.
2: Do we like it? Do we hate it? (laughs) I think the question of whether to use OOP is completely, as they say, orthogonal to whether to use TypeScript. TypeScript is equally beneficial in functional, versus object-oriented versus just the normal code that the rest of us, myself included, writes. I personally yeah, do not it have the point grabbing but it's the other.
1: Thing, it doesn't stop you from doing one or the other. It's like it gives you the option, but whereas using TypeScript doesn't give you the option to not use TypeScript. So it still gives you the option at least to kind of pick your preference.
2: Yeah.
7: Yeah, that being said, I don't, uh, as for like object-oriented versus functional, I don't think like that any strong arguments of one being objectively better than the other really hold. I think it's a lot more about personal preference than a lot of people think. Like I've been like, currently I'm trying to look into both. Like I'm trying to study what exactly object oriented means, how people develop it and the other way of, of for functional programming. What are people talking about? What are the like core concepts or values that both of these sides hold? And it really comes down to like personal preference of which one do you know the better, which one do you think, or which one can you think about or use to guide your design or guide your code in a better way. So for now, for me, that is object oriented. Like I'm working on a few projects and I'm taking a really object oriented approach in designing the backend for it. But in other projects, I can see going for a functional programming approach as well. So it's really about like, how do you prefer thinking about your code design?
1: I'd also say it's going to depend on some front-end frameworks will lead you down the direction of one or the other. If you're using solid, you're writing functions. like It's not technically like functional programming, of course, but if you're like writing web components, you're going to be doing a lot more classes. So I think that sometimes whatever you're going to be writing will have certain conventions already baked into it. And I think it makes sense to just go with those conventions for the most part. Because as you're saying, there's not really an objectively better one or the other, unless you care about immutability. Yeah. I also I think a lot your, of people
2: mess up with yeah, both okay. of them. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, that's, yeah, that's a totally good point. I feel like most people, they, everyone writes code with functions and objects in it, and they're, the idea of separating the two as paradigms and you only write in one or the other, just, it's not how we work as devs.
2: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people can object oriented programming, which is having a lot of classes or functional programming with writing pure functions, but there are real design traits for both of those that get lost in the conversation. It's kind of sad.
1: Yeah, maybe on a similar theme. What happened to decorators? Why does no one use them?
2: Yo, what do you mean, mean no one uses them? them? They finally I, I got by like... in JavaScript. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, gonna say,
1: those are actually like in the language now?
2: Yeah, so they hit TC39 stage three recently, meaning the communities, oh sorry, the standards committee that works on JavaScript collectively has gotten enough confidence in the current leading decorators proposal that people are encouraged to start trying them out and implementing them. TypeScript's next version, or yeah, TypeScript 5, which is a beta, in addition to having really nice performance improvements, has support for correct new JavaScript decorators. The reason why people used to use decorators so much in TypeScript is because they added this experimental decorators compiler option that let you use an old version of the decorators proposal in large part because that let Angular folks use TypeScript. Now that old decorators version is not compatible with new correct, new good decorators. So it is very much a like old thing that should go away. Uh, everybody to it. Yeah, it has some quirks. But yeah, we should expect to see over the next five years or so a slow and steady rise, probably with a few spikes in the next year of people writing decorators and decorator-based libraries.
1: Yeah, Angular definitely pioneered it, but I feel like a lot of other libraries don't take advantage.
7: Yeah, and I think decorators has some limitations, which is why like they're not adopted as widely. I think Lee Alex, the creator of PRPC, really highlighted that. Alex was basically looking into an alternative API to create the RPC routers with classes instead of how we do it right now. And uh, like, obviously that brought some discussions around, should we use decorators like NestJS or Angular does. And uh, the problem is that decorators are good for dynamically adding like functionality later, but they don't do much in terms of like static analysis. Like adding a decorator does not give you like an extra type or you cannot infer types out of it. For example, if I, like in NestJS, if I add a add body like decorator to a parameter, it still isn't any type and I still need to do all the type checking and like th- type annotations around it by on my own. And uh, TRPC is all about like full stack type safety and inference all, all across the board and type and the decorators don't really allow that.
6: So are so we you on can... the wake of a uh, decorator hell soon?
7: Maybe it depends on what the new decorators look like, what functionality they bring. But yeah, decorators is it's a nice pattern. I just so think real, it, real story, I, I got yeah. I
1: got to be this guy. I do not know what a decorator is. Can someone explain what a decorator is?
7: Yeah, let's say that you have a function or a class. You've defined it, and on the line just above the definition, let's say you have a function get user and the definition. So the line on the line right above the function declaration, you will have something like you'll have the decorator which is which uh, starts with an add sign and then you would have the name of the decorator, which is just a function. And so what like that does.
1: Directive in GraphQL. I'm not sure what a directive ah, in sorry. GraphQL is. Yeah, just GraphQL. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. think I know what I did then.
7: Yeah, it's something you put on top of like function or class declarations. And basically it's it has a proxy like API where it will give you like all the details of the class inside the decorator when you define the decorator and you can like add additional functionality to it if you decorate a class with add controller you can just have a regular class but then within the decorator you can add additional functionality that tells the framework that this is a controller class and this needs to handle its gtp request somehow okay, so hope yeah, that, that makes sense.
1: sense yeah it makes sense in the abstract and it's always seems like it's hard to map it to something else i already know i think it's Player graphical director. they both use the at signs, but that's fine, I get a reason, I think they're just the same, but yeah, uh, continue on. Did you have any other questions, Hacksaw, before we get back into whatever Dev's next question was? Nope. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining.
7: Yeah, I think before this, we were just talking about what's your top wanted feature in TypeScript. Anthony, do yeah, you have script. any?
1: Type wanted, I thought what Josh said about a better CLI and like error messaging is good. For me, most of the issues I had with TypeScript were honestly solved by Create T 3 app. Like my issues were about like TS config and just like, how do you get a project started? And once you have a legacy code that you need to figure out how to work with, how do you know how to configure that? And so it's like conventions to simplify that is what I want. But to me, that's not TypeScript's job. It's a framework's job. I feel like TypeScript probably I'm not deep enough into the language to know what I would even want from it. Yeah.
7: Yeah. I think a lot of these end up coming around to is this TypeScript job. Like my, my, my top feature that I would kill for is types of error handling, which is that like along with, a along with the type of what value something might return, you also get the different types of errors that it might cause. I saw this pattern in Java first. And like most other languages have some sort of a either or result data type where you can give it both the result type and the error type. Obviously you can use a third-party library for this that has that type, but JavaScript has built-in error handling try-catch and you can like maybe there's some ways to embed types of error handling there somehow.
2: I will go ahead and jump forward and saying I, as a former Java programmer from high school, used to really enjoy the error throwing annotations but they are completely safe. It's impossible to get right. There's a reason why Anders refused to add them to C-sharp and TypeScript. Any function can throw a shocking number of different errors, ranging from array out of bounds to null reference exception in code that is otherwise completely type safe. There's no actual way to represent in the type system that a function will only ever throw a certain specified set of errors. And you can't even specify, you can't even ensure that a function is guaranteed to only ever throw an instance of the error class because sometimes someone might throw something that is like a string or an array because they're- But I made an enum. Let's <laughs> just throw more. Spicy takes, takes. So in there. So in actuality, you the only guarantee that you have with functions throwing errors is that they might throw in anything. So it's the any type which is clearly there already that a function might throw in any until we have the ability to have 100% type safe code, which no language in the world, even the fancy like 90s era functional programming languages are able to accomplish. We're not going to be able to have actual good type annotations for thrown errors. It's just practically impossible.
7: Yeah. And that's where, that's why I prefaced this with that. Is is this even TypeScript's job? Is this something even TypeScript can do? Or I think at the very least, we can have some sort of a native result data structure. Like promises were added into the language. Maybe we can add result to the to the language so that at the very least, we have a de facto way to define if a function can return an error by ourselves instead of just throwing it and hoping that someone catches it.
2: Yeah, I think you touched on a really good architectural points that I, I'm excited to see a lot more people be in agreement with Go style return an error instead of throwing the error because I think try catch is almost always the wrong choice architecturally. We do with just native unions where if it's let's say a function can either get the text from a file on disk or it can get an error for why I couldn't read the file on disk. You could just return string or promise for string or error or if it's synchronous then just string or error and that's a native result type. Anything more than that? you can- That's what I was thinking when user. I said enum,
1: I meant to say union. <laughs> so I oh,
2: <laughs> I thought you were being I spicy. I'm like,
1: feel like i actually not saying something stupid right now, but I've seen that the right word.
2: <laughs> In that case, you were spot on, both of you.
7: Yeah, it's just that it's not really a good API to deal with. Like what try catch allows you to do is to just have your happy path and then do the error handling separately. I think some result types can do the same thing in a functional way where you can just say if result dot or I'm not exactly sure how, like I've looked a little bit into some result data types, but not all of them, but like it's, there's a nice API to deal with it. Instead, if you just return like a union of a result or an error, you'll have to do like a bunch of if statements after every function call, which doesn't sound the best.
2: Yeah, I, I know this is not ex- actually what you're asking for, but have you poked up the uh, the pipeline proposals for JavaScript? feel like they're overlapping with some of the same intent.
7: I absolutely love that we are getting pipes in JavaScript. I'm very That's... happy about that. Yeah, can we talk about optional and...
1: typing? Continue dev, but then we should hit on that at least a little bit.
7: No, we can go now. Go ahead. Yeah, so just Yeah.
2: I meant to say pipes, like plumbing, like the piping operator, but I'm also separately very excited about optional type annotations, whatever goes. Let's
1: hit hit the pipe first and then we can talk about optional typing.
7: Yeah, so pipes is, so imagine that you have code where you call a function and, but when you're passing in the parameter, that's also a function call. And basically you can have function call inside function calls inside function calls And they all like, whatever the result of one function is, it goes as a parameter into the second function. And that keeps on happening. The pipeline operator is basically a way to invert how you write that. So basically, instead of calling A to B to C, you would first call C and then you would call B and then you would call A. I think it's really hard. Not sure if I'm doing a good job of explaining it, but it's basically a better way to think about Nested function calls because it's more in order of how we think about it. I think Josh can do a better job at explaining it.
2: No, I think you actually,
7: that was actually a really good explanation. I, really I think like it that. made
2: sense. <laughs> yeah, y'all, I don't know of a better way to describe it. I would just Google it. Like the syntax sort of kind of speaks for itself. It's just like a really clear way to do what you just described. So, yeah. Yeah, talking about TypeScript is one of the hardest parts about it. I swear. Yeah, this is why Josh, they paid
1: the big bucks.
2: Oh yeah. I earned so much money in open source. That's right.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're, you'll get there. I'm sure. Yeah. You want to talk a little about what is this optional typing thing? What's the timeline for it? Why are people excited about it?
2: Sure. Yeah. So there are two main components of TypeScript that are important to people. One is the code you write. And then the other is the system that understands that code. The code you write is a superset of JavaScript. Some would call it a subset of JavaScript from a different perspective. Shout out to that post from Ryan. But yeah, anyway, it's JavaScript plus some syntax for types. That syntax, just the raw code, is pretty much standardized in the JavaScript ecosystem. Both Flow and TypeScript did a lot of very similar syntaxy things. So there's a project, excuse me, there's this proposal going through TC39, the JavaScript Standards Committee, to add a way to indicate types in your JavaScript code native to JavaScript, an engine or browsers, Chromium, whatever would be able to read in JavaScript code that has those types annotated and treat them just like comments. Another name for the proposal was types as comments. Now, to be clear, this does not add a type system, the other half to JavaScript. It doesn't add a runtime difference where like your code would throw, if you pass a string to a function that needs a number. It just adds a nicer way to describe, as comments in your code, what you intend your values to be. So it's like JSDoc, but better, and it looks like TypeScript. And that's really exciting for a few reasons. One, it means that you can just run TypeScript files once this goes in, or you will be able to mostly just run TypeScript files. You won't have to transpile them. It also means that competitors to TypeScript, which I think would be healthy for the ecosystem at this point, would have an easier time. They won't have to reinvent the wheel with syntax parsing. It also means that a lot of tooling around TypeScript and JavaScript will be simpler. Like we we in TypeScript ESLint have to add in a bunch of logic to core ESLint functionality, its rules, to handle TypeScript specific syntax. It'd be really nice to just move that into ESLint itself. Again, this does not add type checking to JavaScript itself. You would still need another tool such as TypeScript or Flow or Asno to do that at development time, but it does add the, excuse me, the types as comments. So I'm really excited about that.
7: I think this this can have the same impact on developer workflows that native ESR modules did where instead of bundling everything into a single bundle and sending that to the browsers think what things like wheat did is that they just completely ignored the fact that you have to bundle things and just use native modules the what this might do is that you don't even have to transpile TypeScript to JavaScript anymore you literally just write TypeScript and your source code is what the browsers are looking at, least in the development workflow. So like another huge step of the bundling process gets removed and like the development servers just run so much faster with one less huge step involved. Can't
2: wait. I should also, oh, you also asked about timelines. It's going to be a long time before this is in JavaScript. It's a very contentious issue. Even though this types of comments approach is similar to the ones taken by like PHP, Ruby, Python, just to various extents. It's only in stage one, the very first of the four stages for TC39. So don't worry, we're not going to be changing our JavaScript to this in the next year or two. Awesome.
1: We are a bit over time here, so I think we're going to close it out here. But thank you so much, everyone, for being here and listening. Thank you, Josh, for joining us. Thank you, Dev and Haxor and everyone else who came up and asked questions please click people's faces and follow them where would you like people to go to
2: see your stuff josh ooh thank you for offering and also plus one thanks y'all this was a great discussion dev i'll speak to you now because you're here this was really fun i liked chatting with you also the other people who chatted Hexor, or theo that spongebob kid etc thanks for hosting us javascript Jamf. for me my github bostadon twitter Twitch and .com website are all Joshua K. Goldberg. So follow, subscribe, et cetera there. In a couple of weeks, I'm gonna resume streaming open source stuff on Twitch. I'm almost setting up my camera. Um, You can buy my book, Learning TypeScript, if you want to learn TypeScript. It's made for people who know JavaScript, but maybe no other type shenanigans don't know TypeScript. I work on TypeScript ESLint, which is a website, typescript-eslint.io. You can visit for the tool. And you should definitely, if you write any TypeScript code, you should sponsor us. If you don't use us yet, use us. Please use us. If you do use us, let us know how we can make it better for you. I think that's, I think that's everything. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Dev, you want to do a quick little pitch for anything you want to do? I know you're always working on a lot of things. You got a channel, you got stuff to pitch.
7: Sure. Yeah. I have a YouTube channel. Last week, I made a video about tight strip return types because that was all the hype. Yeah. So you can go and watch that. The link is in my bio, my Twitter bio. Today, I'm working on a video that I might have out either tonight or early tomorrow. It will be on domain driven design. That's all I have to pitch. Thank you very much yeah. for hosting.
1: And then, just for fairness' sakes, hacks or you got anything to pitch, feel free. I'll be the last speaker, that we'll close up frantically trying to get back to Twitter spaces. Nothing for me. Just click my head and see if anything i build is cool. And thanks Ooh, well, for thanks so much for, yeah, thanks much for joining. We do this every week at the same time. And yeah, thanks again, Josh, for coming. And we hope to see all of you next time.
2: Thanks, Anthony. Bye.